You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen.
Give me a second here. I found my big old Bible, but it makes the stand fall over. All right, the best is yet to come. Jesus' agenda when he returns. You know, sometimes when life is easy, when there's not hurricanes and floods and blizzards and people dying in car accidents and uh, mosquito-borne viruses where everybody's getting sick or the flu or whatever, life seems pretty good. And we're like, you know, Jesus, take your time. I'm good, really. Not in a hurry. But when life is falling apart, when we're being persecuted, when life is harsh, uh, when we're sick, when we're wondering you know, how much life is left in us, or life is just disappointing, we long for Jesus to return. And when we think about what Jesus is going to do when He returns, a lot of times we don't have a big idea. We're just like, well, I trust you, Jesus. Whatever, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to take me, I'm, I'm good. I'm ready for it. And sometimes we're that way with people that we trust. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we go along with people and we wonder to ourselves if it was a good idea or not. Um, when I first came to start the church long, long ago, uh, they sent us to San Diego for church planners boot camp, and that was right after the September 11 thing. So airport security was tight, border security in Mexico and the United States was, was really harsh and difficult. And so we had to go to San Diego, and so September 11th, it was about December 11th or so. And so we're there on a Tuesday night, nothing going on. And I made a couple of phone calls, found that you could take rent rec cars into Mexico. You weren't supposed to take the other ones. Um, and I said to my roommate, my assigned roommate, who was the pastor of a megachurch, who was interested in planting churches, I won't tell you his name, we'll just call him Mr. H, Pastor H. I said, hey, let's go to Mexico for dinner. He's like, what? I said, a couple of us, some of us are going to Tijuana for dinner, you want to come with? He's like, just like that? We're just going to get in the, we don't even have a car, we're going to get a car, we're going to get in the car, we're going to go to Mexico for dinner. I'm like, yep, that's what we're going to do. He's like, I don't usually do things like that. I usually plan things out and make sure that everything's going to work out. I said, well, you can sit here by yourself or you can come with me to Mexico for dinner. And so the guy who doesn't supposedly, supposedly doesn't speak English comes to pick us up to take us to the rental car place to get our rental car. And I'm in the, he's, I'm in the passenger seat. Uh, Pastor H is in the back seat. And I say to the, the Spanish-speaking driver, I say to him, I said, hey, um, I know you're from around here, but I'm pretty sure the rental car company is in the other direction. And he says, I know a shortcut. Pastor H is in the back seat, panicking, thinking we're headed for a dark alley, about to get stabbed and robbed. Anyway, we get the car, we go into Mexico, we have dinner, we come back, we go through customs, um, the Marines look in, are you all American citizens? We say yes, we're in a rental rack. I mean, I upgraded to the Toyota, whatever it was, Tercel or whatever. They just flagged us through. Not a big deal. Another pastor and his son uh, took a different kind of rental car, a Mustang, and they were darker skinned and whatever, and they came through the border, and the customs agents ripped the whole car apart, assuming that they were up to no good. So that could have happened to Pastor H, but basically um, it worked out okay. So Pastor H was able to return to his hotel room with an experience, and it was all good, and it all worked out, but you know everything's a risk. But when you follow Jesus, it's not a risk. You can trust when you follow Jesus. Now, the study of end time stuff is called eschatology. And there are so many people that have so many different views and so many can cause great 
controversies and arguments, and there's actually different church denominations based on different parts of eschatology. And so in the short time I had, I just wanted to highlight some of the great things that I believe are going to happen if we're in Christ into the future beyond going to heaven and whatever that's about, um, which is a different part of eschatology. So um, don't be mad at me. I won't be able to cover everything because there's just not, not time. And that's actually one reason why pastors don't get excited about preaching on Revelation is because they get you for a half an hour to 45 minutes each time. And it's really, we take like an all-day seminar or two to like build up and cover everything and make sure everybody's on board. And so eschatology is something that you'll want to study. So uh, there's premillennial, uh, we are. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But our, the typical premillennial timeline and we're, a, as a church, the doctrinal statement says, uh, there shall be a bodily resurrection of the just and of the unjust. For the former, a resurrection unto life. For the latter, a resurrection unto judgment. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent and will be personal, visible, and premillennial. This is the believer's blessed hope. It is a vital truth, which is an incentive to holy living and faithful service. And I really like that. The reason to think about end times, the reason to think about what's going to happen when Jesus comes is because it should help you to get your life in order and to live in such a way that honors Jesus and makes a difference eternally because you know what's coming up and it's going to be awesome. So you can sacrifice some stuff in this life because the future is so much better. When you're disappointed with things in this life, you can look forward with a great hope to what's coming. Just the fact that you're saved, if you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're saved, you're adopted as a child of God, uh, you can look forward in great confidence and assurance. I mean, if Jesus were on the other, uh, out the door out there and we were in a line approaching Him, what would you be feeling if you were about to come face to face with Jesus? Would you be like, oh man, my life is a mess, I'm going to be so ashamed when I see Him? Or are you going to be like, yeah, my life is a mess, but He said He forgave me and I believe Him and I'm excited to see him. And then you walk up closer and he's excited to see you. He calls you out by name. Big hug. Uh, even better, well done, good and faithful servant would be good too. But what a great, what a great thing. So uh, in Revelation chapter 20, if we could just take like a little piece of Revelation, just a window into Revelation chapter 20, we're going to see some things that are very interesting that would and should give us hope. Revelation chapter 20. So verses all in the NIV Bible. So, number one, Jesus will reign unhindered by Satan for a thousand years. So, Satan is in the way. I mean, he is the trouble. He troubles us. Temptation, difficulty, uh, motivates and inspires people to do wicked and evil things. Wouldn't it be great to live in a world without Satan? So, Revelation 20, verse 1, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be free for a short time. Revelation 21-3. So, I think it's cool. Lock Satan away. I have no idea why you would ever unlock it and let him out. But Isaiah 55 says God's mind is different than our mind. So there must be some reason to glorify God that after a thousand years that he needs to be released for a bit. But then he will be done away with and no more. Second Corinthians 11.14 says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, which is so difficult because sometimes things that look so good are so evil. Sometimes things that look so right are actually so against God. Um, New Age stuff, cult stuff, religious stuff that doesn't 
honor God, works-based systems that pull people away from God, not bring them closer to Jesus, all these different things. Satan is a deceiver. Satan is the counterfeit. He likes to counterfeit things. And then 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So uh, this passage in the end time scenario says that Jesus will lock Satan away. Now, in the typical millennium timeline, um, I just have to assume you know what I'm talking about because I don't have time to explain it. So the rapture of Christians from earth, then a seven-year tribulation on earth or three-and-a-half-year, or at the end of the tribulation, depending on when you think the rapture is, the battle of Armageddon, Jesus returns to earth in power and majesty, the 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth, the final judgment of unbelievers, and then eternity. If you take the Bible literally, or more literally than others, you end up with a premillennial theology, and this is basically the way it unfolds if you study Bible prophecy. So, um, I've been reading books about eschatology and end-time stuff for a long time, and I wouldn't recommend even the smallest book by the theologians. I really like Millard Erickson, uh, met him, uh, had breakfast and lunch with him before he was a friend of a friend, and he is the theologian who writes awesome books. And uh, I was reading his books on a simplified version of like the end times and uh, millennialism, and it's not simple at all. Uh, Greg's Laurie, Greg Laurie, uh, Are We Living in the Last Days? Uh, That's a pretty simple, concise read. That's a good one. I recommend that one for you. Uh, unless you're a deep theologian, then uh, go, for the, go for the Wayne Grudem or the Millard Erickson um, theology books. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, number two. Jesus will reign with his faith, faithful followers for a thousand years. That is so cool. Okay, so... Verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So the church who is with Christ, and those people who go through the tribulation and don't bow to the Antichrist and get through it, even though they're persecuted, even killed, they'll come back to life. All these people that are believing in Jesus, it says they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. That would be so cool to be able to reign with Jesus. I see myself in that picture uh, in a glorified body, walking with Jesus, serving Jesus, doing whatever He wants. And if you study end times prophecy stuff, uh, end time scenarios, the idea that there will be regular people who survived the tribulation, who survived and they're still normal, uh, having kids, whatever, um, going through life, doing that. But yet Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is king. Jesus is in control of the world from Jerusalem. Jesus is uh, ruling with Perfection. Our country does not have any perfect leaders. It is so sad that we can't find perfect leaders to lead our state or to lead our country or other countries because there's no one perfect out there. Wouldn't it be great to have a perfect Lord and Savior doing it the way it's supposed to be done without Satan out there screwing everything up? That would be awesome. Jesus will reign with His faithful followers 1,000 years. It says that in Revelation chapter 24-6. through 6. 
All right, number three. Jesus will release Satan after a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. And number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loved. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So here, Satan has released those people that were living in the millennium. Some chose to follow Jesus, some didn't, which is a weird thing to think. Okay, so Satan is bound, so it's not Satan's fault. These people are just going to rebel against Jesus on their own. And they're going to eventually rise up, and Satan's going to help them to try to overthrow Jesus in the book of Revelation says that isn't going to happen. Somehow that totally glorifies God, totally shows our need for Jesus. Uh, I totally don't understand every part of the reasons why, but God is God and Jesus is all-knowing, so there must be a reason. I am confident that uh, it's going to be good um, to be with Jesus no matter what happens. 20 verses, Revelation 20, 11 to 15. Jesus will reject those who are not listed in the book of life. And I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So all these people before the millennium and afterwards that had not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are going to stand before the Lord and give an account for their life and have nothing to justify their ticket to heaven, their opportunity to be with the Lord, and they will be rejected. Their name isn't written in the book of life. That is our job, to help people get their names listed in the book of life, to help them get their reservation for heaven, to help them to get saved and experience Christ in this life. That was what Jesus came to do. Number five, Jesus requires you to be saved. It says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those, to save the lost. Luke 19.10. Jesus came for that very reason, that we might know how to be saved, that we might know Jesus, that we would be able to share that with others so that in Jesus, we will have our names written in the book of life and we will not be at that judgment. We will not be cast into the lake of fire. John 3, 14-16, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness in the Old Testament, um, all these people had sinned against God and they were dying and Moses held up a snake and the people looked at it and they were healed uh, just like that. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. He was lifted up on a cross that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. John 5.24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Have you crossed over from death to life? Do you know for sure that you're truly saved? Have you repented of your sin, acknowledged that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, received Him into your life so that you can be saved, a great way to do that is to confess the Lord Jesus, Romans 10.9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved, for it's with your heart 
that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And prayer is a great way to do that. A great way to do that is by praying, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin and come into my life and save me and make me the person you created me to be. I want to follow you. Show me how to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a good way. If you've done that, let me know. I want to help you grow in your faith. Help others grow in their faith. B, Jesus' awesome and amazing and controversial agenda. So, just real quick. Um, Well, maybe not. Number one, Jesus raptures the church before he appears to the world. Now, a lot of people are like, rapture, oh, they get all upset about that. But if you think about it, it's like Jesus is going to return. He said when he left, he's going to return. The angel said, hey, the same Jesus that you saw go up into heaven, go up into the sky, he's coming back the same way in Acts 1, 8-11. says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses. And then uh, as they were looking up into the sky, Jesus ascended into heaven. Uh, two men dressed in white angels said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Where is Jesus coming back? He's coming in from the sky. He's coming down from the sky. So what else is going to happen in the sky? First Thessalonians 4, 13-18. Jesus will meet those who are saved in the air. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism for death. Uh, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So, uh, caught up, caught, called away, or yeah, caught up in the clouds, uh, raptured away. So, uh, Jesus is going to judge the earth, and the judgment isn't for the church. So, I, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. With the rapture, there's three views of the rapture. And our church doesn't hold any specific, particular view. So there is the pre-tribulation rapture that says before Jesus, before the tribulation starts, Jesus is going to come and grab the church, his believers, out, take them out of the way so that uh, he can carry on what he wants to do. Which I think is probably really helpful. All the Christians are gone. Who's going to object to what the Antichrist wants to do then? Christians would be like, hey, Antichrist, red alert! Uh, but if they're gone, if they're taken out of the way, that's not an issue. So, And if Jesus promises to provide all of our needs and everything, He won't have to work as hard if He gets us out of the way during the time of the tribulation. Now, in the Old Testament, when the plagues were coming on Egypt, the Israelites were still there, but they were protected and preserved. They were still there. But um, that makes the mid-trib rapture another, another option. Three and a half years into the tribulation, before it gets real bad. Um, before all the judgment, the worst the judgment starts to happen, the church could be pulled out, raptured. Then the post-trib rapture says at the end of the seven-year tribulation, so basically it's like, all right, the tribulation's over, the church is raptured up, and then Jesus comes right back. And so there you have those three views of the rapture that you can study. I personally am hopeful, uh, pre-trib, uh, that I hope that Jesus comes back before the tribulation. 
So if not, if the tribulation is happening and I'm still here, then I hope he comes back in the middle. So I'll be like three and a half years and then we can leave. And if that doesn't happen, then if I'm here for the whole seven, then I'll be like, okay, I guess I'm post-trib, fine. And then if that doesn't happen, I'll be like, maybe I was one of the 144,000 chosen ones. I don't know, but I'm still in with Jesus. But here are some couple, a couple reasons why I think the church will be spared the tribulation. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the wrath isn't for his followers. The wrath isn't for Christ's followers. It's for wicked unbelievers who turned against God. Hebrews 9.27 Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So the church will truly experience that salvation when Jesus returns. I mean, we can say we're saved and know we're saved like an insurance policy, but when Jesus shows up, takes us with him, and we're truly experiencing uh, our salvation, then it's kind of like when your insurance policy finally sends you the check and replaces your car or whatever. It's like, yeah, I know for sure I was insured because they paid. Uh, Otherwise, you're like, I'm pretty sure I'm insured. I've got a certificate that says I'm I'm insured. Uh, Revelation 3.10, Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. So, to keep us from the hour of trial. So, Revelation 22.12, Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. So, hopefully, I hope that Jesus will take us out before the tribulation. If not, I hope he comes quickly within the three and a half years. And again, there's no official church position between pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Number two, Jesus reigns on earth alongside his faithful for a thousand years. So amillennialism is the millennial period is a spiritual kingdom in which Christ rules and reigns in the hearts of believers. All true Christians since the birth of the church are part of this kingdom. In other words, the thousand years is symbolic and we're living in this time period now waiting for Christ to return. That's all millennialism. So basically there's no millennium. Postmillennialism. As Christians are faithful in carrying out the Great Commission, our world culture will continue to improve as people become disciples of Jesus Christ. Faithful Christians will bring about the millennial kingdom characterized by peace and prosperity. When this happens, Christ will return to earth. So that's the Christians are saying, yep, through preaching, uh, we're going to change the world. Everybody's going to be in the perfect state, ready to receive Jesus. Jesus is going to come home to a clean house because everybody's ready to follow him. And if that's the case, I don't think it's working out very good right now because I do not see the world becoming more and more Christ-like post-millennialism. Premillennialism, which we already mentioned, says the 1,000 years is a literal time period. Christ's second coming will begin the millennium before the final removal of Satan. Um, so, we already talked about that. Alright, so let's look at what might happen in the millennium. If Jesus Christ is reigning for 1,000 years, he's going to fulfill some promises made to Israel that are really cool. Isaiah 2.4 He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Jesus is on the throne, and we're not investing in weapons. We're not thinking about killing each other anymore. Isaiah 9.6 For unto us the child is born, to us the son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government, and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and with righteousness from that time on and forever. 
the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And I do not remember seeing in history anywhere where Jesus sat on a throne, unless he's spiritual in heaven, and was all those things. But if he shows up and reigns for a thousand years from Jerusalem, that totally gets fulfilled. And that would be an awesome thing to experience. Isaiah 11.6 The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear and their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. It will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 11.6 and Isaiah 42. Here's my servant. Servant, here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Again, these are going to be fulfilled if Jesus reigns on earth for a thousand years. I have never heard of all those things in Isaiah 11.6 actually coming together. Usually a lot of those animals eat each other and bite children. So, number three, Jesus is worthy of our preparation for today. If we believe this, if we look at this passage in Revelation, which is like a few verses that talk about the thousand years, like over and over again, and we say, hey, you know, I believe that, and even if not, I think Jesus is worthy of following, and I think he's going to reign, and whatever he's going to do, I'm in, then we should live in such a way that it honors and glorifies the Lord. So number three, Jesus is worthy of our preparation today. We should purify ourselves. So 1 John 3, 2 and 3, uh, Dear friends, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All those, all those who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Could Jesus tell John exactly the way things were going to be into the future that he could even understand? I mean, how could they even explain the stuff we've got going on right now? And I hope that you're just trusting Jesus 100% because I have this feeling that some of you are thinking about the millennial kingdom and thinking about, man, if Jesus is on the throne, I hope that we have some really good internet service because there's some spotty internet service now and no one's taking care of it. And it's like people think of their own needs and they're like, oh, well, you know, will I get this? Will I be comfortable? What will my house look like? What kind of cars will we have? What will the weather be like? We should purify ourselves. First Peter 3.11, we should live holy and godly lives. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of heaven, the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. So, um, and then be blameless and holy and be sanctified. So, Dan, next week, is going to talk about maturing into childlike faith. And really, childlike faith is saying, that you know, I'm going to follow and trust Jesus no matter what, even though I don't understand, I don't get it all. And I totally feel like I didn't do justice, justice to, this, to this whole topic. But uh, again, um, this Are We Living in the Last Days by Greg Laurie. If you want a copy, I'll, I'll get one for you. But um, it's just so awesome to think about what the future holds for those of us who are serving Jesus. And what's even more awesome is for us to think about, okay, if we know this, and if we're going to experience this, if our ticket has already been purchased, if we know what we're going to do, then we should plan our lives accordingly. So worship team can come up. I was getting the coffee at Quick Trip. If anybody wants to be a volunteer to get coffee at Quick Trip sometimes, maybe we can have you pay for it on a gift card so I don't have to do it every Sunday. 
But anyway, so I'm there, I'm getting coffee, I'm listening to this family, and the, the guy's like, well, I'm going to... He's like, you're putting ice in your coffee? And he's like, yeah, I need to drink it quick before we get to the airport. And, and so I'm like, all right. So this family, I don't know where they're going. They're all dressed the same. But they're like, they're heading to the airport. They're planning because they know they're going on a trip. They're, they're thinking about, okay, I'm going to drink this. I'm not going to eat that because I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going somewhere. And the same thing should happen in our lives. We should be like, I'm planning. I'm going on a trip. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live uh, this way and uh, trust Him and bring my friends. And So, Lord Jesus, I thank You so much that You have given us hope and that You give us an idea of what's going to happen in the end times. Lord, I know we argue about a lot of stuff that we don't always totally agree in different ways, but let us be found faithful no matter what our view is on the millennium, no matter what our view is on the tribulation. Let us be faithful and live our lives in a way that honor You in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We invite you to visit River Rock Church 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find resources to help you grow in your faith, give online to support this ministry, and share your prayer requests with us at riverrockchurch.com. May God bless you. Share Jesus with others this week.